0: Well, we returned this evening to our study of 1 Kings, and I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we will look at the remainder of the chapter. I kind of left off in the middle of last week's sermon. I figured it was time to stop. And we left off with Elijah's words to the Lord, to Yahweh. And tonight we'll look at Yahweh's words in response to Elijah and look at the call of Elisha, the son of Shaphat. I'm going to begin, for review's sake, in reading chapter 19. I'll begin in verse 3. Now, verse 1. Let's read the chapter. It's been a couple weeks It'll be helpful for us to review. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them about this time tomorrow. And Elijah was afraid and rose and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his young man there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked for himself that he might die, and said, "It is enough now, O Yahweh, take my life, for I am not better than my father's." Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of Yahweh came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant "'Pulled down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, "'and I alone and left, and they seek my life to take it away. "'So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. "'And behold, Yahweh was passing by, "'and a great and strong wind was tearing up the mountains "'and breaking in pieces the rocks before Yahweh. "'But Yahweh was not in the wind.' And after the wind, an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. Then after the earthquake, a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a thin, gentle whisper. Now it happened that when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, pulled down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And Yahweh said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and you will arrive and anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it will be that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael Jehu shall put to death and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu Elisha will, shall put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. So he forsook the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, once again, we pause to thank you and to ask that you would bless now not only the reading of your word, but. Help in the preaching of it for the one who preaches and all of us as we listen. We pray that your spirit, ultimately the spirit of Christ, would minister your truth to us tonight. We ask this in his name, amen. Well, we left off uh, two weeks ago in the evening service with somewhat of a cliffhanger. Um, not really, because we know the rest of the story, but If you're in Elijah's shoes, his impassioned words that he's repeated now twice in verse 10 and verse 14 are very heavy. And we spent some time uh, in examining this passage and uh, agreeing in part with uh, Dale Ralph Davis and his commentary and others that Elijah tends to get a bad rap here. And there are all kinds of lessons on how we ought not to have the Elijah syndrome and think that we're the only one. And and perhaps there's some of that going on. But we must remember again that Jezebel is real. Evil is real. And this man has spent himself for the Lord. He has witnessed the Lord send fire from heaven. He has seen the people of Israel in the north turning from Baal, turning in repentance towards Yahweh, the God of Israel. They have slain 500 prophets of Baal at the least and maybe prophetesses of Asherah and he has run ahead of Ahab thinking this is it this is what I've been praying for my whole life this is the revival that's coming God is at work this is going to be amazing he's going to bring his people back to him they're going to turn from their disobedience they're going to renew the covenant and they get back to Jezreel and Jezebel is unmoved she doesn't care if God sent fire from heaven and consumed the Mediterranean ocean she hates God and she hates God's servants she is unmoved and that's the kind of evil that we see in our day we we sometimes shake our heads and just wonder at the evil and how persistent and obstinate it is but we find here 850 so years before the birth of Christ that evil even back then was obstinate and persistent. So Elijah is deeply grieved and he flees for his life and there's no rebuke of him in the text. It's probably smart to flee for your life. If I had someone knocking on my door and someone in power saying that you're going to you're going to die tomorrow I I might think about what my options were. Um, There's a time to stand and there's a time to run and Elijah runs and he runs a long ways he runs to the south that maybe gives an idea of how powerful Jezebel is in her reach remember that also Elijah has with him a servant and he has to look out for him he leaves his servant and he goes even further verse four a day's journey into the wilderness and we saw this precious scene where where God ministers to his servant and it is so precious. It's such a moving scene. He's exhausted. He's spent physically, emotionally, spiritually. He has given himself and he is deeply grieving. Grieving not only that his, not that his life is under threat, but grieving over the persistence of evil. And it seems that evil has the upper hand. And instead of rebuking him or being harsh with him, God ministers to him. Again, it's just such a moving scene of just God first dresses his physical needs. He sleeps. He lets him sleep. And then he gently, I mean, the angel of the Lord, which we believe is an incarnate, pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus. Taking his beloved servant by the shoulder and his fatigue and wakening him and having prepared some bread on hot stones and a jar of water. I, I know, I'm getting back to this. Th- I just love that scene. I mean, why not just hot bread? Why, why, why the hot stones? Well, why do I like a wood stove? I mean, I can just get heat anyway. So why a wood stove? There's Something about it that's comforting. Since I was a little boy, always a wood stove. It's more than just the heat. There's comfort to it bread and hot stones and water and he lets him sleep he doesn't rebuke him lets him and then he says arise and and the Lord is apparently with Elijah in this journey he doesn't rebuke him he's he's for this and he then goes from there all the way down to Mount Sinai he spends 40 days 40 nights and again there's a tie-in with Moses the prophet the who was ministering to God's people some 800 years earlier or 600 years earlier, I suppose. And uh, Elijah comes there to Mount Sinai, also known as Horeb. That's the place, remember, where God entered into covenant with his people. And God asks him a question. And I wonder how we hear God asking that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Uh-uh, I, I don't think so. I think it's a question that's inviting Uh, if you've ever been through a period of deep pain and grief and it's just in you it's just in you hour after hour you're at night next day next week it's just in you and and it's just you want to get it out and one of the best things that someone can do is just ask you a question and let you tell it. I'm not trying to psychologize the text here. What I'm trying to show is how gracious our God is, how kind he is to his servant. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's not boasting. He's not patting himself on the back. He's not pounding his chest when he says, I've been very zealous. He has. He's stating the truth. The sons of Israel have forsaken his covenant. By and large, that is true. And they have pulled down God's altars and they have killed his prophets with a sword. And He says, I alone and left. And I have, you know, I know, I know the standard line is that Elijah there is off. He's having a, he's having an Eeyore moment. I alone and left. And he's, he shouldn't be that. And we really rebuke him. But I remind you, he has seen the prophets slaughtered by Jezebel. And remember, Obadiah had to hide 50 groups of pastors, prophets in a cave to keep them from Jezebel. Think of Nazi Germany hiding Jews. So for all Elijah knows, I would contend Jezebel in her fury in response to the slaughter of the 500 Baals. We aren't told in the text, but we would expect that not only did she want to kill Elijah, but any prophet she knew showed his head was in trouble. So it's maybe overstated But I don't think it's a moment of playing the violin of self-pity, as so often we think. It is a dire situation. And he's coming to God at the very place where God entered into covenant with his people. And he is appealing to the Lord that... He must do something for the covenant that God entered into with the people of Israel under Moses at Mount Sinai now seems shattered and broken and irreparably harmed and broken. If he had a copy of the Ten Commandments, maybe he'd throw them down too, and they'd be shattered in pieces on the ground. Well, we come now to verse fifteen, where it's just where we left off. And what will the Lord do? Well, we find here, and I want to divide the rest of our time tonight. We'll move quickly. Uh, I want to look at verses fifteen through eighteen, and then we'll look at verses nineteen through twenty-one. And in a sense, I'm putting two mini sermons together. Okay, rather than take the whole of next Sunday in verses nineteen to twenty-one. First, we find in verse fifteen. What, what we're asking the question. What will God do in view of this, his broken hearted servant, in view of the broken covenant of Israel and God? What will God do in response? Well, first, I want you to notice that he commissions his servant with fresh provisions implied. He recommissions his servant. And my, uh, I had a, my daughters uh, heard about um, at a camp, there was a commissioning service for, for some of the the, the, the um, volunteers who were serving. And, and they said, is, is, is commissioning? What does what, that mean? You know? <laughs> and I, I understand that. The only reason I can maybe relate is on a missions trip when I was a teen, there was a commissioning service. And my mom and some other moms who were moms of the kids in the group drove all the way out to Illinois to see this commissioning service where, where we are basically you know prayed for and sent out as we went to serve and and here the Lord Yahweh he doesn't say Elijah that's it I'm done with you you know you ran when Jezebel uh threatened your life none of that it's so gracious I know it's incidental but look at the verse 15 the first part of it go return on your way to the wilderness I just kind of usually flip by that don't even look at it but think about it there's no rebuke There's no harsh dealing with Elijah. It's just grace. Go and return on your way. So God recommissions him. He sends out this broken, weeping prophet. And even if he is depressed and maybe we, maybe, maybe Elijah shouldn't be what he is. God still in his kindness and grace sends him. And I, for one, find that very encouraging. That God uses those kinds of servants. But Elijah is sent, and with the sending, go return on your way. Think about it. He's out in the middle of nowhere at Mount Sinai. He's been traveling for 40 days and nights on the strength of the food that the angels of the Lord provided for him 40 days ago. Well, he's out here and he's got to get back. And maybe it won't take him 40 days, but he has to have some food, he has to have some water. So implied, at the very least, is not only that God is recommissioning him, but he's sending him again with fresh provisions. It doesn't tell us he gives him bread and water in the moment, but somehow God is going to supply him. And is it is it making too much here of an application to say that in our following of the Lord Jesus Christ in our serving him in whatever capacity in whatever place he's called us to that there are times when we could use a recommissioning and tonight we'll do I'm I'm very grateful for this text tonight I'm very thankful that that God when his servants are weak or tired or or approaching 50 years old whatever the case may be that he there are times when he renews us, when he sets before us the call that he's given to us. He knows where we're ministering, and he just says, go, keep going. And with that promise to keep going is, is the promise that he'll provide. It's very gracious of God. Secondly, I want you to notice that we're asking the question, what will God, what will Yahweh do? He not only recommissions his servant, but he reveals his plan, and it is equal to the times. He reveals his plan equal to the times. Elijah is beside himself, and understandably so. He is discouraged, he is concerned. And we are often, in our day, discouraged and concerned, are we not? we should be I, I think we have reason to be I don't think you're a glass half empty kind of person if you're looking at the time that we're living in in this part of the world and if you're not tempted to discouragement and great concern not only for the culture but for the church but what's revealed here is that God is not caught off guard he's not he's not necess- he's he's saddened by sin he's angered by sin But he's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. Jezebel hasn't thrown God. And God, in fact, had a plan all along. And now he just reveals it. He sends Elijah and he says, Yehu, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. So Ahab's going to be replaced. Um Rather, sorry, I need to start with Hazael, king over Aram. He's going to play some role. We don't know yet exactly, but even a foreign nation God is in control of. Others would think that Aram had their own gods and and that wasn't God's turf. Well, he is God of all the earth. So he has Hazael, king of Aram, in in line to fulfill his plan. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, and this guy named Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Or shaphat, however you want to say it. But the plan is revealed, and it's it's up to the task, and that ought to encourage us tonight. That as messed up and crazy and perverse and crooked as the times are, it's not catching our God off guard, and He has His plan. We may not be aware of it, but He has His haziel and he has his Jehu, and he has his Elishas. He will fulfill his plan. These men, Hazael, Jehu, Elisha, never met each other. They don't know each other. They are, one's a God-fearing man. The other two will be revealed as not. But they have no idea that somehow that they will play a part good or ill in God's unfolding sovereign plan, but they're going to. Thirdly, I want you to notice as a moment of encouragement that what God says to Elijah, what he's, what he's doing, is thirdly, he keeps a faithful remnant for himself. Verse 18, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah didn't know it. I mean, surely he knew a few God-fearing men and women, but the times were so dark and fear was so prominent, people literally worshiping God at fear of their life, that it seemed as though there wasn't really anyone out there. But God lets Elijah know that he is preserving his people. He's preserving his people. And he will leave 7,000. Now that sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot. You think of a whole nation, but it's 7,000. It's not seven. And God will keep them. God will see to it that there are at least 7,000 that are faithful to the covenant that was entered into with God at Sinai they love the Lord they have no other gods before them they do not make graven images they do not take the name of Yahweh in vain they honor the Sabbath they honor their father and mother they don't steal they don't commit adultery they don't covet they don't judge falsely they are faithful and they are of the Lord. And God is surely doing the same thing in our time. Though we see faith in God and fear of God, even among those who profess him as waning, God is keeping his people. He's always preserving a remnant for himself. Well, I want to move in the rest of our time tonight to verses 19 through 21, and consider the call of this Elisha, the son of Shaphat, or Shaphat. I suppose I should have looked up how the proper way is to to pronounce that. Shaphat kind of sounds cool. Um, Shaphat sounds a little more Hebrew. I don't know which it is. But that's important because my brother's Elisha, so I need to know whether we're talking about Elisha, the son of George, or Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Um, I've lived all my life with one Elisha, and um, yeah, we've had a lot of fun together, and he's quite a character. I, I, he and his family uh, this week are um, in Europe, and that sounds very glamorous, but he' saved up, and ever since we had a high school missions trip together uh, to Europe, he has wanted to bring his family there, so they have been there, and I've been getting pictures as they kind of go different places and I just want to give you a little teaser that they were in Paris and uh, they were going they happened they they went to Le Louvre which is the the famous museum there in Paris which which I know from my uh, study of Isaiah holds uh, several amazing biblical archaeological pieces and one of them uh, is when we get to Second Kings chapter 3, is called the Moabite stone, and it's when the king of Moab, this stone is from around this exact time, and the king of Moab references the house of David. So I had Elisha, the son of George, I said, if you can get a picture of you by, by the Moabite stone. And I did so when we get to that text maybe I'll bring a little I'll show it to you so anyways um, so this is not Elisha the son of George this is this Elisha the son of Shaphat and and you know he's just plowing now apparently it may be that uh, Shaphat is a well-to-do farmer I mean there's 12 pairs of oxen now I don't know how much an oxen costs but it costs a lot now probably and And then I'm sure it was pretty pricey. And he didn't have one or two pairs. It's 12 pairs. That's a lot of oxen. It had to be a big field, some servants. And he is in the back, I'm sure maybe there's some significance to that. Maybe as the son of the farmer, of the owner, he's he's cleaning up and making sure that it's all in order. But 12 pairs of oxen. He's a farmer's son and he's a man of the field and a man apparently of some means. And Elijah, verse 19, passed over to him, threw his mantle on him. Just like that. Now, I don't know about you, that kind of freaked me out. <laughs> you just go along and someone takes their mantle and throws it on you and you, you think, wow. But apparently this was commonly understood as, uh, as uh, honor and, and there was some recognition of Elijah the Tishbite. By now, probably people have heard of the showdown at Mount Carmel and have you heard what happened and you know, fire came down and consumed the stones and the wood and the ox, the whole thing and, and Elisha the Tishbite is known by everybody and maybe he's a hero of Elijah's. So he comes and shows up and just takes his mantle and, and uh, I don't even know what a mantle looks like, an article of clothing and, and, and puts it on him. And I want to use uh, Dale Ralph Davis's outline, okay? So, and again, I, I'm doing this because I've asked all of you, if you want to, to use his commentary as kind of follow along. No, we don't just follow one man and his opinion. That's not what this is about. I am just shamelessly tonight going to use his outline on this text because it's helpful, and, uh, but the comment is mine. So first, uh, Davis points out, in verse 19, how suddenly God's call may come. This is about God's call, God's call of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, or Shaphat. How suddenly God's call may come. That's what we notice in verse 19. Out of nowhere. Davis notes that I forgot to bring the commentary up with me, but he, he notices that suddenness is the wrapping in which God's sovereignty sometimes comes. That's not how most of us like it. We're, we tend to be people, I'd like to know when's going to happen, and, but that's not the way it works. And God's sovereignty and his plan in our lives is always being worked out. But what he has for us to do and the way in which he has for us to serve him, how we are to use the gifts that he's given to us by his Holy Spirit. We don't always know. We don't always know the circumstance. And sometimes we wonder, but often when God works, it comes upon us suddenly and we didn't expect it. The opportunity to minister. His call may come suddenly. Be prepared. I was I was called to preach basically on a Saturday being told on that very same missions trip by the mission ship leader. Oh, Gabe, um, the local minister the, the of the Church of Scotland has has wondered if uh, one of the young men might preach. I'd like you to do that. <laughs> what? And uh, there that's where it began. And that first sermon, I'm glad there's not a recording. Um. That the, here I am. How suddenly God's call may come. Secondly, how joyfully God's call is obeyed in verse 20. Elisha, when he understood that this was a call to basically intern under Elijah, it's like a prophet intern program, to follow Elijah, to serve him and to follow in his footsteps, he left the, he forsook or left the oxen And ran after Elijah. That's significant. There's no dawdling. There's no. eh. He just forsook them. And he says, please let me kiss my father and my mother and I will follow you. Now. He's not a double minded man. He's a God honoring man. God said, honor your father and mother. That's what he wants to do. And. Elijah the, Tish, Elijah the Tishbite who sounds a little grumpy by now <laughs> I don't know I mean and I'm not going to blame him um, I mean he's been walking all over the whole land says to him go back again for what have I done to you maybe there's a maybe there's a twinkle in his eye when he says that maybe he's not a grump but Elisha is right in asking hey I just want to say goodbye to my parents I just want to honor them and he joyfully obeys the call. We know that because in verse 21 he returned from following Elijah and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and I agree that with many commentators that this is indicative of Elisha saying essentially I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back he's burning up he's offering up a sacrifice to God with the tools of the trade and I don't know how much uh, yoke and the implements for the oxen cost but it's probably on par with a very expensive work truck in our day and time right so this is significant. These oxen are your are your tractors and the yoke and the implements are are precious. And by offering up the oxen, he's worshiping God, he's providing a feast for everyone, he's inviting them to come and to rejoice in God's call upon his life and he's essentially making an absolute break and saying I'm done. God, I'm yours. Whatever you want, but I am not going back to plowing with oxen. He loves the Lord his God with all his heart, and when God calls him, there's no, there's no equivocating. Uh, it's a good warning to me and to all of us who have decided to follow Jesus that we be careful, that we hold on to our single-hearted devotion. That we don't allow even good things to sway us from whatever the Lord is calling us to. There's nothing wrong with the oxen, nothing wrong with the implements, nothing wrong with enjoying plowing the field, is there? But it's just a a good warning and encouragement to us to examine, what about that call? What about that commitment I made to Jesus Does he still have all of me? Whatever I am and whatever I possess, is it still his to do with what he wants? In actuality, it's probably harder for those of us who are older than those of us who are younger this is a bit of a side, but it's often the young people who get the talks, you know, give your life to Jesus, give all of it, give it up, follow him with all your heart. And the young people really get it. But those of us who are a little bit older, we're the ones who actually probably need to hear it more. Maybe it's just thinking about myself here, but you know what I'm talking about? With time, we begin to accumulate routine and understanding and things and, well... We still need to follow the Lord with all our heart. May it be so. He joyfully follows God's call and obeys it. And thirdly and finally, Dale, Dale Ralph Davis entitles this last point How Ingloriously God's Call Begins. How suddenly God's call may come, how joyfully God's call is obeyed, and how ingloriously God's call begins. He throws a party, a feast, a godly, joyful party, I'm sure, mixed with tears as he says goodbye to his parents. And he begins to follow Elijah. End of verse 21, he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. And What did that entail? Going back to the site of Mount Carmel and giving it to those prophets of Baal one more time? Mm, no. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. By now, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is mature and seasoned. Elijah is gone. And when Jehoshaphat asks for a prophet, Someone mentions in verse eleven, Elisha of Second Kings chapter three, verse eleven. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Wow, he was a servant, and and don't think of Elijah as being you know this the Elijah the Tishbite of being this spoiled you know uh, he's not spoiled. This is very practical. It's a dirty land. Elijah is giving himself to the ministry. He spends all his time with that, so he needs someone to just collect water. He needs someone to help just with the basics of keeping water to wash his hands and to wash his feet. No modern plumbing, remember, right? So it's a land in which water is precious, and so Elisha, one of his ministries, and honors is to pour water over the hands of Elisha, Elijah rather, so that he is clean. He just serves. He spends time with him. He does whatever needs to be done. He witnesses Elijah in his ups and downs. He, he just begins following. It's a reminder for us tonight that wherever we are in our following after Christ, whatever he's calling us to to do we need to start with whatever he's just put in front of us and wherever he's put in front of us is what he has for us and we need to enter into it joyfully and with anticipation that it's an honor to serve the Lord Jesus in any capacity wherever he may call us however humble and inglorious that place, unknown or, un- or forgotten that place may be. We serve the Lord and fulfill his call. And then one day we have the joy of hearing, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that will be something. That's really all that we want at the end of the day, isn't it? Most of the stuff we do, even as good as it is, it isn't going to last. But whatever we do is unto the Lord Jesus Christ to please him and his father, never lost. And to think that our master and our king will throw a feast to honor us for the service that we've rendered to him. It's beyond imagination. What a gracious God we have. Let's serve him with all our heart and pray. So we do praise you, O God, for your gracious way with your servants. And we are so thankful for hearing of your dealings with Elijah the Tishbite and Elisha the son of Shaphat. We thank you that you always keep a remnant of faithful men and women humble. May we be found among them in this generation. We're encouraged tonight that as evil as the days may be when Jezebels roam the land, that you are not shaken, you are not moved, but that your plan is unfolding, your purpose and your plan equal to the day and surpassing it so that things unfold exactly as you have declared Until that day when your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, returns, sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives and is King of kings and Lord of lords over all the earth. We long for that day. Find us to be your faithful servants. Help us even tonight and tomorrow in our homes, with our spouses, with our parents, our siblings in these meager little places to be faithful to you and fulfill your call upon our lives. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.